hear some more uh, joyful singing, that's when we're going to want to see it again. <clears throat> well, it's good that we get to open up God's word together and be shaped by it and be transformed through it by the work of God's spirit. And we're still in Isaiah chapter 11 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. While you're turning there, I, uh, you guys might remember that we uh, went through Financial Peace University as a Sunday school class and as a hope group this last year, and, and we're hoping to do so again this upcoming year. Uh, but, but you may not know why we kind of got started on Dave Ramsey in the first place. Uh, it, it wasn't because I was in debt, uh, although I have a mortgage and, and all those types of good things. Um, the reason why we did it was because Dave Ramsey gave this example of a gazelle running uh, from a cheetah in this description of what I think is the greatest uh, picture of an African safari known to humankind. And Dave Ramsey describes this debt like a gazelle leaping around in tall grass, not realizing that its hunter, the cheetah, was coming at him. And then when the gazelle realizes it, it runs for its life. It doesn't want to become lunch. And so Dave Ramsey describes getting out of debt like running from, for your life in Proverbs chapter 6. But really, it was the animal imagery that hooked me. Uh, because I love watching those YouTube videos of, you know exactly what I'm talking about, you search them out too. I love watching those YouTube videos of cheetahs chasing these unsuspecting animals, right? But what happens if the cheetah and the gazelle, instead of eating each other, instead of the, the cheetah eating the gazelle, what happens if they drink from the same watering hole instead? Immediately in your mind, you're like, yeah, right. Uh, maybe if they're blind and have COVID and can't smell each other, uh, right? It's such a foreign idea to our minds that, that a gazelle and a cheetah could drink from the same watering hole without the cheetah chasing the gazelle. But in our passage this morning, uh, as we look at the results of the Messiah who will reign as king over the entire earth, one of the results is that this Messiah brings peace that is so unusual to our minds, we think it's too good to be true. And yet instead, it should make our hearts long for the day when our Messiah reigns as king over the whole earth. And so we're in our Advent series uh, where we are, are fixing our hearts specifically on celebrating the arrival of Jesus as the Messiah. And so we've been looking at Isaiah chapter 11 because it's helpful to understand why the coming of Jesus is so helpful. Uh, when we, we see what he ultimately does, it changes how we receive him. So let's pray for our time in God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that the truth from Isaiah 11 will encourage us to long for the day when King Jesus will reign over the earth when he comes again. And Lord, we pray that Isaiah 11 would even make us long for a time when we live out some of those realities as a church today. So Lord, use Isaiah 11 
by your spirit in our hearts, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So let me read Isaiah 11. Now, we're going to read the whole chapter, even though we're only going to be talking about verses 6 through 10, uh, and, and because we want to see it in the context. And then next week, we'll be in verses 11 through 16, so we'll see the whole context of what's going on. So Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1, here's what Isaiah says. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, inside your sermon notes, we have the entire chapter of Isaiah 11. You're able to follow along. You're able to see exactly what we're reading from, okay? And so here's what Isaiah 11 says. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt." and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel 
when they came up from the land of Egypt. Well, there's a lot there, and I'm sure many of you are thinking, how on earth does this have to do with Jesus in a manger? Well, we're getting there. Uh, let me give you the roadmap. Here's what I hope that if you, there's nothing else that you get out of this sermon this morning. If you're not used to listening to, to sermons and talks, that, that if there's one thing you walked away with, here's what we want you to walk away with this morning. Here's the big idea. The life we all long for comes only in the Messiah who makes peace. So keep hoping because our journey isn't over yet. The life we all long for comes only in the Messiah who makes peace. So keep hoping because our journey isn't over yet. And this morning we're looking at verses 6 through 10. And so we're going to look in, in how verses 6 through 8 are actually like a better and new garden of Eden. We're going to see how verses 8 through 9 are show a reverse of the curse. And then how in verse 10 we see this glorious rest that is the result. So let's look at, at, at verses uh, 6 and 7 together, this new Eden. Right, remember, uh, the book of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 10, describe this time of judgment. And then Isaiah 11 speaks of this coming Christ, this coming Messiah who is going to establish his kingdom and the type of reign that he would have. And so Isaiah 11 is the continuation of the prophecy that began in Isaiah 7, right? Remember, behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, right? That phrase that means God with us, that, that phrase that's very common in Isaiah 7 that we always celebrate around Advent and Christmas time, this is the continuation of the promise of that Messiah in Isaiah 11, and then it culminates in Isaiah 12. And so when we think about the coming of Jesus, the, the Messiah to earth, something that, that Christians celebrate every single year, we celebrate knowing that the Messiah has come to rescue the lost, knowing that he has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us, and that he will return again, and when he reigns over the entire world as king, all things will be made right. And so this morning we get to look at the type of reign that the Messiah will have. The reign of the Messiah reverses the effects of the fall in creation. I've heard it said that sin is like toothpaste coming out of the tube. Once it's out, you can't scoop it back in no matter how hard you try. But the reign of the Messiah, life doesn't try to get scooped back up into the tube. The, the earth is restored. It's renewed. In fact, it's better than it even was before. One powerful picture of the Messiah reversing the curse of the fall of creation is in verses 6 through 8 of our passage, where even animal relationships are not like they are now. What a surprising picture of the kingdom, right? Right now, the only way that a lamb is to lie down with a wolf is inside the wolf's belly. The calf which is the most vulnerable to the lion and this fattened calf, the most desirable in, in verse 6. And yet the picture of Jesus' reign puts them together in peace. Ferocious animals were in constant threat and feared, 
And, and so you would think that the elimination of those animals would be part of this ideal kingdom. But notice how it's not the animals that are removed, just their threat of the danger. I mean, one of the most favorite things that I love to watch is a lion attacking a gazelle. And yet, the reign of the Messiah, there will be no need. Even the New Testament describes shepherds needing to protect the sheep, the, the people of God, the sheep from the wolves that would sneak in. Churches needing elders to protect the flock of God. Right? Even Jesus is called the good shepherd who protects his sheep from the wolves. And yet what we see is that when the good shepherd reigns over the earth, there is no peace greater than even in the Garden of Eden. In fact, the future reign of Christ isn't going backward to the old Eden, but to a new Eden with Christ. This is a powerful picture of the Messiah's reign as the king over the earth that Isaiah uses the, the same language later in Isaiah 65, which we read in our scripture reading that describes the new heavens and the new earth. Remember at the end in verse 25, it said, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So when we read Isaiah 11, we should be thinking of this new heavens and the new earth, commonly in Revelation 21, and we should be thinking of the new heavens and the new earth in Isaiah 65 that's describing the same things. And so, so what we're reading this morning isn't an obscure, random passage of the Bible. It, it's the main event being teed up here. So when you think about the coming Christ child, we should also remember the new heavens and the new earth of the reigning of Christ. Right? What makes Christmas so important and special is that it reminds us that Jesus, the Messiah, and all that he will accomplish. We will miss the wonder and the glory of Jesus if we leave him as a baby instead of seeing him as the conquering king that will bring the forever peace. The righteous reign of this descendant of King David promises justice and peace and a return of the scattered. And so when God's forever king reigns, ultimately and finally, peace will be experienced in surprising ways as the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth. Every person in this earth longs for peace. The decisions that governments make are often in the name of what will further and better their lives with one another. They make decisions for the good of one another, not for the destruction. But we need to realize that in all the thousands of years that we've been on this earth, there has never been lasting peace what we've tried to make in our own power. We, only, we, we need to see that, that, that the making of peace apart from the Messiah won't last and it doesn't reverse all of the evil. Only the peace in the Messiah's reign will do that very thing. 
And so, brothers and sisters, we need to look forward. This Christmas, we need to look forward to the future reign of Christ, but not to expect it immediately. If we have our expectations for peace on this earth before the final reign of Christ, well, I think we're going to be disappointed and we're going to give up. I know how family holidays look. We bite our tongues about things that frustrate us in the name of getting along with Grandma Bessie because she's getting older and we don't want to mess up the equilibrium of fake peace in the household. I understand that. And I'm not saying that you should ruin Christmas for your family. I do think that if our picture of peace or our expectation of what peace is actually like and we assume that it's going to be happening even this very Christmas, the way that we long for peace to be, the way that it's described in Isaiah 11, I think we're going to end up disappointment and we're just going to throw up our hands and say, forget it. The peace we long for comes in the future reign of Christ. And that picture is glorious. So pray. Brothers and sisters, pray for the Lord to come quickly. Long for the day when mind-boggling peace is throughout the world because the Messiah reigns over the whole earth. See, the life we all long for comes only in the Messiah who brings forever peace. So keep hoping because our journey isn't over yet. Let's look at this next section in verses 8 and 9, this reverse of the curse. Uh, the future reign of Jesus brings peace between enemies. We see that, right? The, the fall in Genesis 3 is what brought all of the sin and chaos in the world that we still experience today. It was at the fall that, the huma that humanity became separated from God due to our sin. And so part of the fall was our brokenness and our relationship with God. Part of it was our brokenness and our relationships with one another. Th that was exemplified between Adam and Eve. And we see that there was a brokenness between the creation and humanity. But in the reign of Christ, the new heavens and the new earth, the curses of the fall are reversed. Genesis 3 presents the serpent as the first enemy of humanity within the animal kingdom. And yet verse 8 of our passage suggests the removal of the curse from the fall. I mean, in what other context do we let the nursing child play over the hole of the cobra? Or the weaned child put his hand on the adder's den. If you don't know what an adder in is, it's, it's like a type of snake, okay? Isaiah 11 verse 8 suggests the removal of the curse from the fall. The child and the cobra won't be enemies. The snake will no longer strike the heel of the descendants of Adam and Eve. The reign of the Messiah brings peace even between enemies. The reign of the Messiah makes the entire earth the holy dwelling presence of God among his people. Notice how in verse 9, it describes how there is no destruction when Jesus reigns. But do you guys notice what, what Isaiah does in verse 9? The holy mountain 
right? Which is the place where, where in the Old Testament, people think of God's dwelling place and, and where the knowledge of God comes down to the entire earth, right? So, so remember, think back to Israel when they had just been freed from slavery in Egypt and they go to the mountain of God, to Mount Sinai. God directs on the Mount Sinai where God descends down upon it but remember, no Israelite was able to go onto the mountain or to touch it because it was a holy place. And then God gives Moses the ability to join God on the mountain. And from the mountain comes the law and God's covenant with Israel. You guys remember that? But look at what happens in verse 9. In verse 9, the holy presence of God is not still only on a mountain. In the reign of the Messiah, the entire earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord. What was only found on the mountain in Exodus will transform to the entire earth. The presence of God on the mountain, it, it only transforms to be with all of God's people from the four corners of the earth. The knowledge of God from the mountain to the earth being covered in the knowledge of God which brings about the peace of God. And so what Isaiah 11 verse 9 is describing is what theolog theologians call the new covenant. Uh, we, we see it jumped all over in, in, in the Bible. One of those places is Jeremiah 31, and it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made their fathers, on the day when I took them by hand uh, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. It's in the new covenant, at the reign of Jesus, that we will no longer need to tell our neighbor to know God, because the earth will be full of the knowledge of God. And so this new Eden in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 11 and the reverse of the curse in verses 8 and 9 are the results of the Messiah's reign. But we remember that, that Jesus reigns because of his high cost. There, there is a new and better Eden and a reverse of the curse because Christ became the curse for us. Remember back to Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Jesus took our curse for our rebellion that had separated us from God, that, that brought misery into the entire world. Christ 
took on our curse to bring us to a better garden of Eden to reverse the effects of the curse. Jesus became our curse by taking on the death that we deserved and he paid the sin that we committed so that we would have eternal life only that only Jesus deserves. Jesus offers us new life and promises this new Eden and a reverse of the curse for all who repent from their sins and place their trust in Jesus and follow him. I can think of no better way to anticipate the coming of Jesus than this Christmas than for that to be the reality of our lives. I can think of no greater way to sing joy to the world and to celebrate Christmas than to be maybe even the first Christmas that we are cherishing Jesus as our Savior. And so if that's something that that says, you know, I've known about Jesus, but I'm not sure if I know Jesus. I don't know if I'll be in this new Garden of Eden. I don't know if Jesus reigns as my king in my life right now. If that describes you, come find me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. But it also means this, friends, that what we see in verse 9, that that they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It means that everywhere that Christ currently reigns, there should be peace being lived out in it. Peace should reign in our actions as a church body because we are the body of the Messiah, the body of Christ. And so we realize that there is already a place where Christ reigns and should display peace. The church is where Christ reigns right now. I might have the title of senior pastor, but honestly, Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. And that's not being something goofy. That's literally true. Jesus leads his church. He builds his church. He directs his church. And we are all trying to follow Jesus. The church is an embassy of the kingdom of God, where God's spirit indwells us, where we live out ultimately by the direction of Jesus And so peace should be evidenced here and now in some degree of what will one day be global and eternal. We are the place where the knowledge of God is known right now and therefore peace that is unnatural to what the world experiences should be what we live out with each other. That should be what our relationships look like. So the question is, Do you make peace with people in the body or do you make war in your attitudes and actions? See, making peace with one another is a picture that Christ's reign is over us. So spouses, be the first to apologize and make peace. Employees, do everything you can to make your boss delighted that you work for them. Christian gospel partner, you have a responsibility in our church covenant to make every effort 
to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is our Christian duty among our brothers and sisters. So let's experience a taste of what will be fully realized for eternity over the whole earth when Jesus the Messiah reigns as king. See, the life we all long for comes only in the Messiah who brings peace. So keep hoping because our journey isn't over yet. Let's look at this last verse, verse 10 of our passage this morning, this glorious rest. It says this, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. You know, the spoils of victory don't taste as good to those who didn't fight for the victory. The celebration of winning a war is especially sweet to those who sacrificed, who upended their lives, who spent themselves for the victory. Think of it in a sports league. The championship medal isn't as great for the spectators as it is for those who gave blood, sweat, and tears and spilled it all to attain it. The same thing is true with Christianity. The more we fight our sin and say no to earthly lusts and put off our old selves and renew our minds in the spirit and put on our new selves in Christ and we await the day when our faith will be sight, that is when the victory of rest will taste so sweet. And so when we read that his resting place shall be glorious, Rest is a great thing for those who feel regularly exhausted. Rest is glorious when you think that you have come to the end of your rope again and again and just want relief from what is happening. The promise of God is that when Christ reigns over the earth, there will be glorious rest. And that's the promised result of the Messiah's reign. It's the pattern we've seen throughout the entire Bible when God has been at work, right? What is it that God did after the creation of the world? He rested because everything was very good. The writer of Hebrews says that all who abide in Christ have the greatest of Sabbath rests, which means that in Christ's reign, we are promised a global rest that is so glorious for us to behold. Rest from war, rest from struggle, rest from heartbreak, rest from physical struggles and mental struggles, rest from even our struggle against sin. And so the call for us is to go to Jesus because Jesus even offers rest now. Rest that's described here in Isaiah 11 is, is a picture of future rest. But Jesus also promises a taste of that future rest today. What is it that Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends who need rest, Jesus gives a taste of it now and promises it infinitely more when he reigns on earth. So spouses who are tired of fighting with each other, there is hopeful rest in Christ. Siblings who are tired of fighting with each other, there's rest to be had in Christ. Those of us who have bodies who are broken and and in every day battle mental and physical struggles, Jesus promises a taste of his rest now and even more fully when he reigns over the earth. Think of the the story of Les Mis that that Victor Hugo describes. And and in the story, maybe you haven't read the book. The book's super thick. But in the movie, and I like the, the, what's what's the newest one? Who's the actor in it that everyone loves? Russell Crowe. I think it's great. Okay, don't worry. It's a great version of it. And in Les Mis, Victor Hugo describes death as a place of rest from all the struggles of the oppressed and those who have been on their run for their entire lives. Victor Hugo gives us picture in Les Mis that death is pictured as a much-needed rest. But in reality, it is not death that gives rest. It's the Messiah Messiah is who gives peace over the earth to where there's no more wars and there's no more destruction and there is no more uh, failing to, to live out a true life in Christ. The whole world will come to him and will receive rest and it will bring the Messiah glory. And so those of us who are fighting our sin daily and failing, we can find rest in Jesus. So Christian, the struggle is real, but our struggle is not in vain. Christian, your labor for the kingdom of God is not useless. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, therefore my beloved brother, right after Paul talks about all the, about all what's going to happen in the resurrection of Jesus and our own resurrection, how glorious that will be, he concludes it like this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So we can cast our burdens upon Jesus and trust him with the outcome. He promises rest in part now, in fullness later. And so continue living out the kingdom of God in your life, right this very day, right this very week, because the knowledge of God fully realized on earth brings unexpected peace and ultimate rest in God's righteous ruler. The entire world will look to the Messiah. He will be the banner. Jesus will be the signal for all the people. And so when the Messiah reigns over the earth, it says in verse 9, we will know the far-reaching peace. We will know security and rest from God. We will no longer be alienated from God. 
The curses will be reversed. We will be with God in the new heavens, in the new earth, and it will be glorious with him. That's why we celebrate the coming of Jesus. That's what's so wonderful when we sing peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's because we know that the reign of Christ will be glorious. Do you recognize that until Jesus returns, it is the body of Christ who are the banners and the signals for rest? Which means, brothers and sisters, if our Christianity is like an allergy to our neighbors, we might not be the beacon of hope that we're called to be. Churches, and therefore Christians, should be places and people where the world inquires about our hope. In people's struggles with divorce, struggles in marriage, struggles with their children, struggles with finances, struggles for even finding hope, we are called to be ready and equipped with a picture of hope. There is sometimes no greater feeling than when someone helps carry your burden with you. And so when we live as signals or banners of the hope of the Messiah, then the glorious name of Christ is proclaimed faithfully. So how might you be part of being a flag of hope for our community? Is it in serving in the youth? Is it serving in Awana or divorce care or, or grief share or maybe even financial peace university? They're not meant to be just for ourselves. They're meant to be beacons of hope to our community. Maybe it even just begins by reminding one another at the end of a service every Sunday that we remind one another of our hope in Christ even, even as we leave those doors. Maybe it means gathering in a life group and reminding one another of the glorious hope that we are waiting for in Christ's return. See, Christians, the body of Christ, are right now the signal for all the people that one day the world will be glorious when the Messiah reigns. And we will be the hope and we will have rest and we will have restoration. There will be a reverse of the curse. There will be peace unlike anything we've ever seen. And it comes with the Messiah who reigns. So the life we all long for comes only in the Messiah who brings peace. So keep hoping because our journey isn't over yet. You know, I find it interesting that my kids are, are learning different major sections of world history. And they sing this cute song. It's not that cute. I, I don't actually like it. It's really annoying. <laughs> and they can't stop singing it because they love education. And I'm not against education. No. And what is so unique about this song and about the history that they are learning is that the major sections of world history that they learn about are all revealed around what? The timing of different wars that have happened. We even calculate our time of history with war. And there will be a time when that's not how we calculate it any longer. When there will be peace that reigns forever. 
while it might be hard to consider a world existing without a gazelle being marred by the cheetah, there are more glorious pictures than that. Better than a predator and prey situation is the eternal and earthwide peace that is coming with our reigning king, whose birth we celebrate every December, whose death and resurrection we celebrate every Lord's day, and whose reign we will celebrate for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. He did not stay a baby any more than he stayed dead in a tomb. Our Messiah has come in the flesh as a pure act of God's grace, and our Messiah died in our place and rose from the dead on the third day, and our Messiah is coming again in a second coming, in a reign that is righteous, where he will reign in faithfulness, and he will bring peace over the entire earth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's spend just a couple moments responding to God's word this morning. We're never called to be hearers only of God's word, but always hearers and doers of God's word. And so right where we are, every person, let us spend even just 30 seconds asking God, what does it look like for me to anticipate the coming reign of Jesus? Then I'll close us in prayer and the, the band will lead us in another song. That one day, the very longing of every person's heart, the longing for peace on earth will come. Not because government's making the best peace treaty deals ever. Not because everyone will just share everyone's wealth with everyone else. No, but there is a promise of peace that is global and is eternal because the Messiah will reign over the entire earth. And the knowledge of the Lord will be filling the earth like the waters fill the sea. So God, help us to be ready. Help us to prepare for that day. Help us to, to right now begin by making peace in our own lives with our own brothers and sisters in the Lord that our church would be uh, an embassy of peace, that we would be a picture of peace to the world that doesn't make sense, but only makes sense when the Messiah reigns over us. And God, we do pray that the Lord would come quickly, that he would not delay, that he would make haste, that he would come and return gloriously and bodily and reign over the earth as its king, and that we would find and know and experience that glorious rest that you promised. In all the ways that we feel like we have glimpses and tastes of it now, Father, would you make it fully realized? So Lord, come quickly and prepare us to be ready for the coming of King Jesus, who came as a baby, but will return as a conquering king. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We have so much to be thankful for and to celebrate this Advent and Christmas season. Christ, the King, the heaven-born Prince of the world, has been born and promises new life in him. And he will come again, and he will reign over all the earth, and it will be glorious, and it will bring rest.
Until that day, brothers and sisters, hear our benediction from 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Have a great rest of your Lord's day.